Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, I'm Scott Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi-Williams, and this is the English Soccer U.S. Money Sports Business Podcast, The Sportacast. English soccer U.S. money? That's what you came up with? That's what I came up with. Happened and, quickly. Yeah, and by the way, maybe we should tell the audience, that was also kind of a take two. So I was not sure yeah. what story we were leading with. So I was Despite unsure. the fact that we had just discussed which story we were leading with. I mean, I feel like I'm talking to my, my 12-year-old here. He's like, wait, you know, what did you just say? I'm like, sometimes, wait, Scott, we can do a second take without having to tell everybody. No, 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 no. no. I, want, I want, hey, and, and it's on me too. When I'm the cause of the second take, I want everybody to know. Full transparency here. So what we're talking about is the English Premier League. The U.S. rights were up. They were held by NBC. And uh, as you know, we say it all the time, more bidders equals more money. All you need is multiple, right? You need two. So you had that. You had NBC here. And then you also had Viacom and ESPN as a shared entity. They're a joint entity making a bid. Ends up, from what I'm hearing, by the way, Evan, that the Viacom Disney bid was higher. And yet the EPL chose to re-up with NBC, which had been the home. Yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's 2.7 billion US dollars here over six years um, makes it automatically, we knew this was going to happen, makes it automatically the, the, the biggest uh, soccer rights deal in the US for for any league and, and any entity, either domestic or foreign, um, eclipsing the La Liga deal with, with ESPN. I think one of the things that kind of stands out to me here, NBC Universal obviously has a linear TV presence with NBC. NBC SN is going away. They also own USA. And then they have Peacock. They have the streaming option as well. EPL is going to be kind of split between or, or kind of divided up between both the linear and the digital options. We're now in this stage where when rights deals happen, it's not just, oh, who got those rights? It's also, how is the company that got those rights going to divvy it up? So there are people that I saw in, in my timeline, at least when the news came out, people who were really excited about this because they really like the way that NBC does it and they want to see as many games as possible on NBC and USA. They're, they're cable people. Then I saw people who were really excited about this deal because they're Peacock subscribers and they want to see as many D8 games as they can under Peacock. Both those people are not going to be thrilled by the fact, uh, whatever the kind of end result is here for NBC. But I do think we're now in this stage where all these companies, if it's you know and Viacom with with its with its linear and its Paramount Plus, if it's ESPN with ESPN Plus and its and its linear TV, it, it, the company that gets these deals isn't always the news now anymore. It's also okay now that they have this deal. How are they going to show it to me, and what do I need to buy to get those games? Yeah. So, but if I'm NBC now, that's a big check, right? You wrote a big check because you made it a priority. It's not like they don't view themselves in NBC as the home of soccer. They view themselves as the home of the EPL, which is, of course, one of the most popular leagues in the world. Lots of stars, lots of brand name teams like Manchester City, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, just in case you're not familiar with the EPL. But the way it works, I mean, yeah, you've got the NBC proper, and they make money through affiliate revenue. You've got the cable channels uh, like USA, 
and they sell ads, so you can help there. And then, of course, Peacock, what everybody's looking for is the holy grail. You talked about is the balance. What do we put where? And everybody is trying to really drive up those subscriptions on those sort of OTT networks. So I ask you, if I'm already an NBC or uh, EPL fan, if they switch more games onto Peacock, does that drive subscriptions? It's much like the NHL deal with Disney. You have a lot of games that are exclusive to ESPN+. We're in that weird, weird paradigm in the industry here where you're still making so much money with the cable bundle. You know, you get the subscription fees, but it is melting away. You know, people are cord cutting or now you're into the cord nevers and you're trying to figure out what's the right balance. How do we move to a streaming world, but I can't cannibalize what I'm doing on the linear and the cable side. It's a very interesting tap dance and we're going to see how this works using this sport property, extremely popular around the world to drive Peacock subscriptions. How do you think it's going to go? I think it does. I think it does work that way. I think NBC has said in the past that 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 it has viewed English Premier League as a pretty good subscription driver for Peacock. Another thing here, this is as we said, it's a six year deal, which essentially means that there this locked in here. If you're a, if you're an EPL fan in the US, you know that for the next six years, this is the place you're going to need to get the, the bulk of your games. And I think having some longevity on the deal is also fairly valuable in driving those subscriptions. One other thing on this topic, Scott, that that that, that jumped to mind to me when I saw the number, the EPL more watched than Major League Soccer in the U.S. should have a bigger deal than Major League Soccer. Um, but looming in the background here, Liga MX, by far the most watched sports league here in the U.S. A lot of that happens on, on Spanish language. Um, but because of the way the Mexican Soccer League divvies up its rights among teams, the teams themselves sign these deals kind of on one-offs. It's not like the Liga MX comes to the U.S. and sells a league-wide package. But if more people in the U.S. watch Liga MX than watch the EPL and MLS combined, which is true, uh, it does make me wonder if, if Liga MX as an entity is leaving a huge amount of money on the table here by not going to the U.S. market as this massive behemoth of, of rights and interest in the U.S. All right. I sold you out on the second take at the top. Maybe I'll be stupid here. You tell me, Novi Williams. Didn't I hear something about Liga MX looking to centralize those broadcast rights to take advantage of exactly what you were just talking about? Is that Are we not there yet? Or where do those talk stands, if you do know? Because they certainly, the owners of those clubs certainly understand what you just said. And I had heard that there was plenty of talk about centralizing those rights and then selling them in bulk. There, there's definitely discussion about it. They are not there yet. As I'm sure you can imagine, if you just think about this from an NFL perspective, if the NFL let the Cowboys do all their deals alone for the history of the NFL, and then in 2021 came to the, the league and said, okay, we're going to start pooling all these rights and doing them separately, Jerry Jones would probably sit there and say, wait a second, I'm way more valuable than than the Bengals, or I'm, I'm way more valuable than the Bills are. Why, why are we pulling these things together? They're going to have to figure out if they do go that route, some way to make the more popular teams, uh, Club America, for example, make make those teams uh, financially see the benefit of doing this. It's, it's, it's hard to unwind once you do it, but you're right, Scott. There, there are discussions around that. And again, I would think this $2.7 billion EPL deal for, again, a league that is, is, is almost half as popular in the U.S. as Liga MX is from a viewership standpoint, I would think a, de a deal like this is, is pretty good ammunition for the argument that, that maybe grouping these things is the better way to go. Boy, we're going to have to call our sources and find out who is the, the Wellington Mara. 
of, of Liga MX, right? Who's going to be Wellington Mara, of course, the late owner of the New York Giants. He was one of those who, in the early days of the NFL, said, we do need to share. We need to work together. And he was coming from the big revenue, big bad boy, you know, big giants. And he understood, like, we can't just take it all. We need somebody to play every week. We've got to figure out. And if you look at, I mean, if you need evidence, all you need to do is point to the NFL and the shared national revenue has allowed everybody to flourish. Meantime, the Dallas Cowboys get to keep what they produce locally. And therefore, that's why they have, as Kurt Badenhausen has told us a million times, they get to keep that local revenue and therefore, and they produce far more than anybody else. That's why they're the most valuable team in the NFL. Exactly. So, so one of these EPL teams, Liverpool, Scott, is owned by Fenway Sports Group, a, a holding company here in the U.S. Mr. Segway. Some big news out of Fenway Sports Group uh, last week. They are in advanced discussions to acquire the Pittsburgh Penguins, the NHL team. Uh, we don't have a price on this, but if this deal were to go through, you're talking about, again, platform company here. Uh, this would be a company that owns the Red Sox, that owns Liverpool, owns Fenway Park, owns Fenway Roush Racing, and now adding uh, a fairly prominent NHL team to that mix. What are your thoughts? My, my thoughts are that Sam Kennedy does not lie when he appears on this podcast. Mm. He said they were on the hunt, and it didn't take him long to uh, to bag his first pelt and hang it on the wall. The Fenway board has approved the transaction. Of course, now it must be approved by the NHL. But it's exactly what you, you what Sam has described to us before and what others in in sort of this platform company, we have Monumental Sports is one. You can take these disparate parts and figure out how they feed each other and they feed off each other. What are the synergies? But the, the thing is generating the revenue. <laughs> and certainly, um, if you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, what do they have going for them? They are really popular locally, right? If you look at the share, which is sort of the number of people in market watching, they're number one in the NHL. I mean, that that's an important thing. And the second part, and I know you are high on this, and, and Kurt was as well, uh, if we look at the previous transactions, the multiples at which these valuations occur, the NHL has been at about 5x, but that's the lowest of all of them. But, and I'll let you expound, it's not as if we're talking about these transactions have included the Toronto Maple Leafs and the New York Rangers or the LA Kings or the Boston Bruins or the Montreal Canadiens, these marquee clubs at a high-flying time. Those have been done on the bottom end of the league. You tell me who and why that's important. Yeah, I'm thinking about the the, the last few NHL full transactions we've seen. The, the Coyotes have sold a number of times in the past decade. Uh, the Buffalo Bills have sold. The uh, Carolina Pan or Carolina Hurricanes have sold. Buffalo, I, I have the, to jump in. I have Panthers. to jump in, Eben. Eben, yeah. I have to jump in just so no one's going to say you said the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> Good. Buffalo Sabres, thank you. Um, <laughs> Carolina Hurricanes, Florida Panthers, uh, Arizona Coyotes, the, the Islanders, when they sold, uh, were, were not a team that had a, a glitzy $1.1 billion stadium as well. The, the, the controlling stakes we've seen sell in the NHL have been teams in probably the lower tier of the league. Now, the Penguins are not, they're not the Rangers, they're not the Canadians, they're not the Maple Leafs. But uh, they're a, a prominent team that has won a lot. They're very popular locally, as you said, Scott. Um, they're certainly, I think you can easily make an argument that the Penguins right now are the, are the most valuable asset of, of controlling NHL uh, property that we've seen sell in the past 10 years or so. Um, and that's really valuable. Again, if you're looking to, to invest in NHL, you don't often get an opportunity to get a team that's won three Stanley Cups in the past 15 years or a team that had a 63 uh, straight game sellout streak as the Penguins did recently or a team that has such great high uh, high high ratings, as you said, Scott. So certainly some interest, interest there. A question for you, 
Fenway obviously has a, a huge presence in Boston with the with the Red Sox and Fenway Park. Uh, does it become are there weird are there conflicts of interest that happen now that they also own a, a property? almost a thousand, whatever it is, 600 miles away in a, in a totally different city where there's a competitor of the Red Sox, the pirates that play next door. I mean, it, does it complicate things that there, there have been kind of cross city ownership restrictions in some sports in the past. We seem to be getting away from that, but I just wonder if there's any kind of conflicts that pop up when, when this deal closes. I'm sure there might be, but not enough to scuttle a deal. You know, if the Fenway yeah. board says yes, if the Sellers say yes. And by the way, a key component of that success was number 66. I used to wear his jersey uh, in, in honor of Mario Lemieux. What we're hearing, Mario will stay on. The senior leadership of the team will stay on. So they'll have some continuity there. Um, I, I, these, these conflicts can be, can be worked out. But I will say, and I think we're the first, nobody has said it publicly. If you look at what Fenway Sports Group has done around Fenway Park, you know, they recently bought a bunch of real estate. It's going to bars, restaurants, every, you know, that's the big thing. We saw it with the battery in Atlanta. Nobody likes just a team anymore. There's got to be something. And we talk about it all the time. The team is just the centerpiece, right? I would not be surprised if as part of this deal, we will hear about a real estate development project hmm. near the home of the Pittsburgh Penguins. What are the, what is it called these days? Like I just call it the igloo. But what, PPG it, paints, I think, it, okay, but that okay. might have changed recently. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know, I, I can stay as long my, on my on top of brain as like crypto.com replacing staples, <laughs> UBS Arena, like these are the ones I know. Did oh we didn't talk about UBS, did we by the way? Should we talk about UBS? Yeah, that let's, was go, let's go. Let's yeah, go. Let's talk about UBS. But what, yeah. what, why not our friend a shout out to Jay Bieberman who did and uh, Danielle Perillo doing a lot of the PR out there working hard to get this thing out there, but did you did you watch the first game? Did you see some of the feedback? Um, I, I felt bad for Jigs McDonald, and I totally understand it. Like they went back in the Islanders' past. He was the announcer when I grew up watching the Islanders, and he kept calling it USB Arena, like you know USB <laughs> Porta. And then finally, then finally, he settled into UBS. I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure the folks at the bank were like, "No, get it right, get it right, Jigs." But uh, hey, th- this is a long time coming for the Islanders, and as you well know. You know, when they were sold, you talked about it. They didn't have a home, certainly affects valuation. Now they have a permanent home. But what's really interesting about this is they are an anchor tenant, yes. You know, and a lot of a lot of buildings have two, a basketball team, a hockey team as anchor tenants. Well, there are two here also, but it's just not a club that's going to play 41 games a year plus playoffs. The anchor tenant in this building that was built for hockey is just a genre. It's music. Yeah, and and this is this is the challenge that's that's going to be for 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 Scott Malkin and and John Ledecky, the owners of the Islanders, and then the, the group that they built this arena with, Oakview Group, and 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 Irving Azoff, legendary music producer. Uh, you can't you can't have a, a one point one billion dollar business with just forty one dates a year. And, th- and those are the Islanders home games. If they don't make the playoffs, you're right. You need to fill this uh, with other acts. And that includes music. That's Disney on ice stuff. That's monster truck rally, whatever it is. Uh, you need to be beefing up this calendar extremely quickly. Madison square garden has two anchor tenants. You're right, Scott. It's the Knicks and the Rangers. They also do 320 event nights a year, uh, which is pretty mind blowing to me uh, off the top of my head as well. Just to think about how, how many events that is, but it also gives you a sense of, of kind of how much opportunity there is and also how much work UBS has to do. Harry Styles is going to be the first musical performer there. Harry Styles is, is managed, I believe, by Irving Azoff's son. So you start to see the mm-hmm. connections happening already. Um, but you're stepping into a, a market, uh, obviously a huge New York market that already has Madison Square Garden, 
which recently had a one, $1 billion renovation. Barclays Center is not that old. The Prudential Center is not that old. The Coliseum, where the Islanders used to play, is very old, has been renovated a bit recently. There's two relatively new baseball stadiums. There's a relatively new football stadium. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of sports venue that has been constructed in New York in the past 10 to 15 years. It's not as though there, there, there's not a lot of competition here. And the, bar, and, and the UBS Arena is going to have to step in and, 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 and lure artists through connections, through better design, which you can get into. But certainly it's, it's a tall task and also one that I think they're very confident that they're going to be able to, uh, to achieve. Yeah, well, if, if uh, Tim Laiwiki over at OVG knows anything, it's, it's the music business and it's the venue business. So uh, I'm fascinated by the things they did in the design, how it was taken right at the start, like just, just the bays, the size of the bays for the trucks to be able to load in and load out and get people in and out much faster. Maybe enable you to have an extra night of something. Uh, absolutely, the lower ceilings, the materials that were used. Uh, we're going to hear what the artists think of these venues. And you would think like out in LA, you know, you have Steve Ballmer building the Intuit Dome, but you would think just knee jerk staples versus the form that everybody would want to play staples, it, it, you know, or uh, have we switched yet to crypto.com? Did I almost like to screw it up? When, no, <laughs> it's Christmas it, Day. Good, Christmas good, yeah. Day is switching. Yeah. But the form artists love it because it was retrofitted for music, for concerts. All those things will matter to these artists as well. Of course, at the end of the day, how do the economics work? How much do I get paid to come and play your venue? How do I how do I work it into maybe the OVG? You know they have that consor that arena consortium around the world, so uh, maybe they can promise multiple dates across multiple cities around the world. Uh, but the economics of the music business and the entertainment business in the New York area now with Barclays, Prudential in Newark, um, you still got the Nassau Coliseum and now UBS, not USB, at Belmont. Uh, I mean, I find it fascinating. And Jacob Feldman did a story for us on the opening day of the arena, sort of laid out sort of what the thesis of this new building was all about. And, and moving from from music back to the Islanders for a second, it's also monumental for the Islanders business. We talked a bit about what having a, a new arena for the Clippers was going to mean for the Clippers business. A lot of those things hold true for the Islanders as well. When you are a tenant in someone else's business, you do not share in all of the money you see from concessions. You don't share in all the money you see from ticket sales, from premium, from VIP, from suites. Now the Islanders are able to control all of that they are able to 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 reap all of the, control all of those revenue streams, and they're also able to do things like scheduling. You know, they, they did not have the you know the first run of scheduling dates at the Barclays Center because it wasn't their building, and they were a tenant in it. Now, and when when the scheduling is done, they're gonna have they're gonna play on Saturday nights if they want to, or Saturday afternoons if they want to. They can avoid Monday night games, go up against NFL if if they want to do that in, in in the fall, or they can they can play on those nights. Whatever it is, they are going to have a lot of access to things that actually matter from a financial and also a competitive balance standpoint that you just don't get when you're a tenant. You know what's going to be very interesting, and I'm going to bring in my little insider knowledge of sort of the organization and and what's going on here. You're going to have, I'm betting, although it's probably already been settled because. Uh, I'll tell you the name in a second, and he gets what he wants. He usually uh, gets what he wants here. But there's there may be some friction between the hockey side and the business side in this regard. If you you would think Long Island, uh, you know, the main uh, consumer for your hockey games would be families, right? You come pack up the SUV and off you go. And families tend to really enjoy weekend afternoon games, right? 
That's mm-hmm. well, I, I can tell you something about Lou Lamarello. <laughs> Lou, from what I understand, and Lou, if I'm wrong and you're listening to this, please reach out. I, I, I'd love for you to correct me. But from what I have been told, from what I understand, Lou is pretty adamant that the creatures of habit, the players, be kept comfortable at all costs. Seven p.m. start times, right? He does not want 7.30, national game, 8 o'clock, none of that business. Players play their best as creatures of habit. They want 7 p.m., I believe, and again, I'm giving a, I believe on this, but you know, the practice rink at the Prudential Center is sort of right under the stands next to the main rink, right? And I was told that Lou wanted the dasher boards with the exact same ads where they're placed on the main rink because he wanted his players to be apt, you know, same, same condition, just playing as if they were on the main rink. So, so when Adam uh, Pellet goes into the corner during practice, he recognizes the corner because he knows the ad yes, from, uh, yes, from the practice yes, rink. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and I will tell you one thing I noticed, and this again, this is just me from watching the opening game. Uh, the goalies, and you know I care about hockey goalies as my son is one of them, the goalies better be ready because those bottom boards were super lively. Hmm. Like that could be a significant home ice advantage. Uh, I, I know these goalies are used to it, but man, I'm telling you, you better be ready. I think, I think again, I saw a set play where one of the defensemen came down and intentionally shot it wide Bank so that it, it would bounce across. Yes, and they were coming down the far side. On the right. Yes, I believe I saw that. And the Islanders goalies know it didn't take them long to realize I better skedaddle, right? I better get back to that post. So there's another little home ice advantage thing, you know, the, the actual design and, and see how they play. It's a team that could could use it a little bit as well because of the construction here had to open with a 13 or 14 straight games yeah. on the road, uh, which is always difficult no matter how good your team is. The Islanders were, were kind of projected to be one of those potential cup contenders, one of the best teams in, in hockey. Uh, they've struggled a bit out of the gate. So interesting to see if we look back on the end of this year, if we think the the kind of the rough stretch they had at the beginning of the year, having to play so many games on the road, actually maybe harmed them from a competitive balance standpoint this season. Yeah, well, it reminds me of the San Antonio Spurs every year because of the, they have some event, I forgot what it is, you know, the cattle something or the whatever in San Antonio, they always have to leave their building for a very long stretch, mm. like three quarters of the way through the year. They just know every year they have their their trip because of the, the, the venues taken for rodeo or something like it, whatever it was. But hey, it's, it's part of the business, right? You're educating on the, the business of sport. And, and this, I think it wasn't even just... Um, it, this was a, a construction thing, a construction delay. Like this was giving the Islanders more time yeah. to finish this building. And in reading some of the reviews, I mean, it's getting absolutely great reviews, but there were still, what I'm told, uh, what you would say is a punch list item. Like if you bought a house or an apartment, there, there were some punch list items probably not yet done. So imagine had they had to play there two weeks earlier. One of our reporters, Eric Jackson, was was got a tour of the arena, I think, on the Thursday. So it opened on, on Saturday night, on Thursday, and everyone there was in hard hats. And he came back and he said, yeah, it's not often that you get you have to wear the hard hat around around the arena two days before uh, before the thing opens. So, yeah, and, and this is, you know, this happens all the time. There's overruns, there's supply chain issues right now. I think my guess would be that the Islanders are pretty happy, given everything that's happened in the past two years, that, that this thing opened uh, at, at this point in the season and not any later. Yep. All right. Let's finish up with Sport Radar and the NBA. We're going to save the the Brazilian Super League for next time because you know we're rolling along here. But uh, you know, big data business always. Uh, we had Genius Sports has the NFL. Sport Radar just locked up 
the NBA, a big dollar deal. Uh, Evan, just the exploding world of data continues. And you have these two big players uh, going to try and grab their share of market, two now publicly traded players, uh, one Sport Radar, the traditional IPO route, uh, Genius via SPAC merger. So uh, I see no signs of sort of data war slowing down. No, not at all. And this is a good kind of new chapter in, in that whole thing. The You mentioned Genius Sports has the exclusive both domestic and global NFL contract. Uh, well, the, the second most valuable contract probably in, in American sports would be the NBA one. And, and, and Sport Radar essentially just locked that up exclusive overseas, what seems like it is pretty darn close to exclusive uh, domestically as well. Karsten Carl, the CEO of, of Sport Radar, when this deal was announced, kind of happened right in conjunction with their earnings. He talked a bit about how, you know, everyone thinks of the NFL as the, you know, 800 pound gorilla. And that's true. There's way more international betting on NBA than there is on NFL because the sport is more popular outside of uh, outside of American borders. He was really playing up the the advantage of having these rights overseas because again, basketball is very popular in parts of Europe and parts of Asia, etc. Um, but you are again, you're starting to see firmer lines being drawn. The NBA kind of used to here in the U.S. do its data kind of share. There were a number of companies that, that had rights here in the U.S. It seems like they may be heading towards a model in which Sport Radar is the only one here in the U.S., which would leave baseball as the only one domestically that doesn't have an exclusive partner. Um, these deals are huge, as you said, Scott. About a billion dollars is what we were told between the equity piece and the cash piece here for the NBA. That equity is is about 3% of the company over the course of the deal. Um, so that's a hun- couple hundred million dollars in equity right now. We know that Genius gave the NFL a couple hundred million dollars, maybe even a little bit more uh, in equity as part of that NFL deal. Uh, really interesting time right now and a really lucrative time for sports leagues to have data that they can now sell to, to international operators. And networks and direct-to-consumer, and now we're going to get into biometric for data. Sure. Yeah, very interesting to see where it goes. All right, he is Eben Novi Williams on the Twitter at Novi underscore Williams. I am Scott Soshnick on Twitter at Soshnick. Our social media editor is Core Veltman. She loves it when I remind you that the show can be found at Sportacast, which is the hub of what will soon become the Sportico Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.